0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger Barker of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gold Breaks, Florida. And now here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger Barker with this week's message from Story Point Church. Have you ever noticed how everybody wants to be important? Everybody wants to mean something. Everybody wants to have a life. That has impacted someone, somewhere, and in some way. You know, as I've been processing this this week, um, I've been trying to really gauge the level that people desire importance. And I, and I think what's re- what I'm wrestling with is that what I see as trying to be important, somebody else who's a, other, a different personality type than me would see be something different, like, like for me, my struggle for importance would be that I make an impact in the world, that you know, uh, that my preaching is powerful and that, that people um, are, are, are living different lives and so you know, the, the, the human side of me wants a bigger stage, right? You know, always wanna be in front of people, Always, always enjoy people laughing and things like that. That's the human part of desire but I know other people would cringe at that. They would never wanna be on stage, they would never want people to mention their name and yet they still have a need for importance. And so, as I'm wrestling with this this week, I'm wondering, what what does it really look like for us to desire importance? And I think ultimately the question is, do we wanna be important because our name is known, or do we wanna be important because Jesus' name is known? And I think that's what it really boils down to. So this morning, if you'll open your Bibles to Mark chapter nine, verse 35. Mark nine, do y'all catch that? Huh? You see that? Scully, that's for you, buddy. Right there. Look up. Look up. you got to see it. (laughs) So, Mark chapter 9, verse 35. And we're going to go all the way through 45. It's amazing to me that God has given us biblical examples for pretty much everything that we will ever deal with in life. Maybe not the precise situation, but, but for the most part, we can always find something in the Word that will correlate to the things we struggle with. So let me just kind of back up and give you the big picture before we go to Mark 9. So we're dealing with this concept of desire. Tell me what you want. What you really, really want. I'll tell you what I want what I really, really want, right? Don't sing any more of the song. Not a good thing. What, what we desire is what motivates us. It's what we want. It's what we seek after. It's what, what keeps us moving forward. And um, what I want is what the scripture says that we're to want, and that is to seek Jesus. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs after you. So that's, that's kind of the goal, right? But then we say, well, what does God want? And God wants you. What he wants is for his creation, His people, to search after Him and to know Him. But then the question is, if what God wants is us, and if what we are supposed to want is Him, why do we want so many other things? Why do we desire so many other things that just, they're not bad desires, but, but in the wrong frame or in the wrong context, they can lead us to a really difficult and painful life? For instance, we desire wealth, Right? All of us, on some level, desire means. We desire wealth of some sort. We desire importance. That's what we're going to talk about today. We also desire pleasure. You know what's funny? Sigmund Freud actually talked about this. You remember the id, superego and ego conversation? How many of y'all remember that? How many of y'all trying to forget that? Yeah, unless you have a test on it, that you just want... It, but it's human nature. Human nature is to desire we today are looking at the desire for importance Mark chapter nine, 9 verse 35 James and John the sons of Zebedee approached Jesus and said teacher we want you to do whatever you we ask alright so who's asking it's James and John these are two disciples They're brothers they are known as the sons of thunder. So their nature, their character, their, their personality is going to be big and bold and probably somewhat abrasive, somewhat less timid. They're the ones that when Jesus had somebody that was going against him, they said to Jesus, Jesus, you want us to call lightning from heaven and strike them dead? I mean, that was their... You know, they had a little bit of a, a aggression going on, right? They were also too... Of two disciples of the first four disciples. So we have 12 original disciples and those are grouped into three groups of four. You have James and John and Simon Peter and Andrew. They were the first group of disciples. They were the ones that we know most about. They were the ones that Jesus probably spent the most intimate time with and so that's that first leading group. James and John were part of that group. The next set of disciples is four, then the last set is four, and each set we know little and little, less and less about. James and John are the, kind of like the, the, the guys that are always out front, and they ask Jesus this question that kids like to ask. Will you do whatever it is we ask you to do? Now, I've learned to say no to that every single time except for when one person asked me. You ever had somebody say, hey... Uh, Will you do something for me? I've learned to never say yes except unless one person asks me that. Who do you think that one person is? No. That was my daughter. No. (laughs) Only Jesus. If Jesus says... if You thought I was going to... The first Baptist thought my wife. I'm like, are you crazy? That's dangerous. You never say yes to a blank check on that. Come on, don't leave me hanging here, guys. You know that's the truth. You don't know if you'll be painting that day or digging a ditch. You never say yes without knowing what it is. If Jesus says, I'm going to ask you to do something, will you do it? I don't need to know what he's asking before I say yes. I'm trying to live my life with a blank check to where God has the blank check and whatever he says, whatever he asks, then my answer is already yes. Everybody else, that includes you, I'm going to ask a qualifying question if you say, hey, will you do something for me? My qualifying question is this, what do you want? Right? Because there are some things I can do, some things I can't do. They were setting Jesus up, and I'm not sure their motivation, it's kind of hard to judge, but maybe their motivation was they wanted Jesus to get trapped in a corner so that he would have to answer. Or maybe they were just trying to uh, 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 you know, uh, soften the load or kind of grease the skid, so to speak. I don't know why, but they said, Jesus, will you do whatever we ask of you? And Jesus, pretty sharp, he's knowing what, what, what's going on, he responded to them by saying, well, what is it you want me to do? Notice he didn't answer the question. He said, what do you want me to do? And here's their response. They said, allow us to sit at your right hand and at your left hand in glory. They were asking something that was reasonable... But it demonstrated where they were in their hearts. It demonstrated what they were thinking. They wanted to be seated at the left and the right of Jesus. It was very common in these days for somebody in power to have a left and a right-hand guy, a number one and a number two, right? It was very common for the person to select an entourage and give them positions of authority. James and John felt like they deserved to be high in Jesus' order of authority. And so they said, hey, will you let us do this? And it's interesting because even though we don't fully know their heart motivation, we can probably understand that our heart motivation is probably the same way. We want to be important. We want to mean something. Because after all, if you're important, that means your life isn't lived in vain. And also, if you have this kind of position with Jesus, then you have some certain privileges and things that come along with it, right? Jesus' response to them was this. He said, you don't know what you're asking. He said, you don't have any idea what you're asking. You wanna be my left and right because you think that I'm building an earthly kingdom. You think that I'm building a kingdom to where we're gonna reach fame and fortune and have power and have means, but that's not the kind of kingdom I'm building. In fact, the kind of kingdom I'm building, if you wanna be left and right in that kingdom, it's gonna cost you something. He said, can you drink of the cup or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? He was letting them in on what was coming next, that Jesus was going to suffer and die, that Jesus was going to give his life. And Jesus was saying, can you give your life? Are you willing to pay the price? You want to be number one and number two. Are you willing to do what it takes to get there? And their answer, because they had a pretty good-sized ego, yes, yes we can yes we will you know here's where I wrestle I wrestle because the desire for the desire for importance is not bad it's it's actually part of being a human I mean we don't want to live our life for nothing right? I mean we want people to, to to at least know our name and even people who don't want to be on stage they at least want somebody to notice them James and John they want to be on stage maybe my personality I want to be on stage maybe you want to be on stage or maybe you just want somebody to notice that you even existed the thing about it is though is when we have that kind of desire When we want people to notice us, when we want people to recognize us, when we want them to know our name, we will often do things for the applause and praise of men. And our heart will guide our actions. And we will become man-pleasers and people-pleasers instead of a God-pleaser. James and John had the right direction, but I think they had the wrong motive. I think a lot of us have the right direction. But I think maybe some of us have the wrong motive. We want to be important by making ourselves important. But Jesus is about to flip the script. He's about to do something that totally changes everything that we know about making a name for ourselves. He's about to totally change our understanding of importance by flipping it from being the most important to be in the least important Jesus says to the disciples yes indeed you will drink of the cup and yes indeed you will be baptized with the same baptism of course we know through church history that James the apostle was the first martyr for Jesus he was killed with a sword so he did drink of the cup and we know that John died at the very last and he wasn't probably martyred but he was isolated onto an island and he wrote the gospel, uh, excuse me, the uh, uh, first, second, third John, he wrote Revelation. So, so this is someone who had a, a, a t- two that had different experiences but they did indeed drink of the suffering that Jesus spoke of. But here's the thing, it wasn't Jesus' responsibility to say You get left and you get right. He says it perfectly. Jesus says to the disciples, It is the Father... Let me just read it to you. How about that? But to sit at... Verse 40. But to sit at my right or left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those for whom it has been prepared, understood to mean, by my Father. So God is the one who decides who's important and who's not. That being the case... Are you spending your time trying to make people like you? Are you spending your time trying to live up to the, to the uh, expectations of what others have for you? Are you a people pleaser? Are you a God pleaser? You know, uh, Brent, uh, Brad, you actually talked about that a little bit in the song. You had no idea this was I was preaching on, did you? How exhausting is it to be a people pleaser? Pretty exhausting, isn't it? Why is it so exhausting? It's exhausting because no matter how hard you try, there's always somebody who's not pleased. It's exhausting because it's like chasing your tail. had a really good conversation with a guy this week. Yesterday uh, we went to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, just south of it. We were videoing the story of a guy by the name of San Marcinic. He was a pro ball player. He was in the minor leagues about eight or nine years. He finally got up to the bigs, and on his very first day on the mound in the bigs, he was injured, pretty much ended his career. But here's what makes his story really impressive. His story is impressive gospel-wise, because when he was a little boy, he did what a lot of little boys who love baseball did. He saw himself as the greatest player that would ever walk the face of the earth he read a quote by Ted Williams that said that Ted Williams was the greatest bat ever, and so he slipped his own position in there. I want to be the greatest pitcher ever. Went to Jesuit high school in Tampa, Florida, That or in the central Florida area, very known for raising up quality athletes. He was drafted, and he went and he started playing. What he discovered is there were a lot of greatest players ever. In fact, what he said was this. He said, baseball was my God. Baseball was my God. That means he ate it, he drank it, he slept it, he thought of it, he planned it, he prepared it. Everything he did circled around baseball. And what he found was that when his identity became something that was performance based, it would lead him empty every single time and so he turned to alcohol to dull the pain because when he was on the field and did well he would come out as a hero when he was on the field and did not do well he would come out as a loser and you can imagine that performance mentality how much it would cause you to just have this constant emotional turmoil he wanted to be important by being the greatest player that would ever pitch a game unless you're too hard on him preachers do that Do you know that out of my mouth one time in seminary, I actually made this phrase? I want to be the greatest preacher that's ever preached. Can't even believe I said it. Now the intentions might have been good, but what it does is it reveals the heart of man. What is it that you want to be the greatest at? Maybe you've never said it out loud. What is it that is in your heart that secretly that's what you're living for? You want to be the greatest at something. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Having ambition is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to want to do things with excellence. It's not a bad thing to want to do something masterfully. In fact, I hope that my doctor who's going to do surgery on me in about a month is an excellent, masterful surgeon. I'm having a little thing removed in my arm. Don't get all freaked out. It's, it's nothing. It's nothing. But I really hope that he's the best of the best of the best. So that's not a problem. The problem comes when that becomes what drives you and when that becomes your identity because that becomes about you. John and James, they wanted to be left and right most likely because they had an ego that wanted them to be that 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 caused them to want to be important. What's your ego? What is it that you want to be the very best at? For Sam, it was baseball. And on his first major league appearance, something snapped. And he left the field not knowing if he would ever pick up a ball again. Could you imagine your entire life being wrapped up in a little white-laced ball? Oh, but before you're too harsh, we have things that it's wrapped up in, isn't it? what we wear, the kind of friends we have, how many social followers we have. In fact, I would say that it's actually an epidemic proportion how hard we're trying to get other people to think we're important. Look at me. I made a burrito. I'm probably guilty of that one. I tend to post animals and food. Just let that sink in for a moment you know, why do we try so hard? Why do we need people's approval? Why do, we, why do we need people to, yay, you're so good? Is it because there's a lonely, longing, emptiness inside because we haven't realized that there's really only one audience that we're to live for? Is it because we've kind of misunderstood what God's purpose for our life is? God's purpose for our life is not for us to make a difference in the world. You know that, right? His purpose for our life is found in Micah 6.8. To love justice, live, whole or live uh, rightly, and walk humbly with our God. That's our purpose. Now, I want you to contrast that to being great. God says, I just want you to do right and know me, walk with me. And over here we have all these ambitions and desires of doing all these wonderful and marvelous things and have people calling out our name, want, want people to know who we are, and God says, no, 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 I just want you to, to walk humbly with me. Yeah, but what about all this? No, 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 I just want you to walk humbly with me. The thing about Sam is his lifelong dream was to be on the field of a major league uh, ball team and in doing so have all the accolades and no doubt be in the Hall of Fame. He was injured, and his entire life that he was living for suddenly ended. And lo and behold, another player invited him to do a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. And on that mission trip, he had an encounter with the God of the universe. What he discovered is that all of that pain that he was trying to soak in alcohol to get it uh, to be soothed, could be soothed but not with the substance but with a relationship with the God who made him and who knows him. On that trip in the Dominican Republic, he came face to face with Jesus Christ and he was born again. And his testimony is his life totally changed. And you know what's really funny? He is now running a baseball camp in Green County, Alabama one of the poorest counties in Alabama, maybe even one of the poorest counties in the country, where the marriage rate, as I'm told, I haven't verified this, but it's something like 11%, where it's still quite a bit of racial tension, that government subsidies is what, what most or, or many people live on. And yet here is this guy who wanted to be a professional baseball player living in this poor county, simply loving on people. And you know what I think? He's never going to be in the Hall of Fame for baseball. He never will. As far as baseball is concerned, have you all ever heard the name? I want to be the greatest pitcher that ever lived. And nobody in this room knows his name, except for now. He actually is going to be in the Hall of Fame. It's not the Hall of Baseball fame, it's Hebrews 11. By faith Abraham, by faith Isaac, by faith Joshua, by faith Rahab. See, the Hall of Fame we need to be worried about is God's Hall of Fame. And here's the really cool part. You don't have to be anything or anyone special to be great. To be important, you don't have to climb mountains, you don't have to have your picture on TVs or newspapers. All you have to do is the next right, obedient thing that God calls you to do. I heard a story this morning that, that kind of makes me tear up. You know, Hannah's uh, having a, a shower today. Like she's taking a shower. She's having a, <laughs> a, a wedding shower. And Miss Dot, she came up and she said, you know, the memory that I have is that it was the Sunday after your mother died. My mom had taught that class along with Dot and another lady, Shelby. She said, uh, Hannah walked into the class and Granny wasn't here. She said, she climbed up on my lap. She said, My Granny died. And Dot. Just love this little girl. Her part in greatness that day was loving a little girl. No stadium full of thousands of people could ever override the importance of what that woman did that day. So, you know what I've discovered? I've discovered that Jesus was right. He grabbed his disciples, he gathered them all together because the rest of the disciples were kind of getting irritated. The Bible says that they became ign- indignant. That means they were, they were upset, they were angry. They were like, who do these two think they are getting to Jesus first? See, so they weren't upset because they were, that Jesus was asked. They were upset probably because they didn't get to ask him first because they had the same motivations, no doubt. Jesus gathered them together and Jesus said, Listen, guys, it's not like you think in the kingdom of God whoever wants to be the greatest must be a servant the greatest in the kingdom of God is the servant of them all. Now there's two words in this verse one word is correctly translated servant the other is translated slave but those two words uh, mean different things Um, It's right here, verse 44. And whoever wants to be first among you will be slave. The verse 43 whoever wants to be great among you will become your servant. Become your servant is the word diakonos, it's where we get our word deacon. It means literally to wait on tables. Jesus said, Whoever wants to be great needs to be a waiter. I don't know many people whose life ambition is to be a waiter. Don't get me wrong. We need waiters. If you go to a restaurant today, you'll notice we need more waiters, right? Waiters is not a lowly position. It's just not what people gain as their goal in life, right? I mean, most people use waiting as a means to an end. It's kind of something they do so they can do something else. Again, some people make a great living at it. They do it all their life. There's nothing wrong with that. But most people just kind of move through that. Here's the thing, though. Jesus said your life's ambition should be to wait on tables. You want to be great? Be a waiter. What does a waiter do? Waiter wipes tables. Waiter brings out food. Gives them more tea. Waiter cleans up underneath the high chair from a kid who exploded in that last 30 minutes. If you've ever done waiting, you know that that's pretty rough, isn't it? The thing is, waiting is not glamorous or glorious, but it's the way to be great. second word is slave. It's the word doulos, which means bondservant or slave. And so Jesus said, you want to be great? Be a waiter who waits on tables and be a slave. And here's the the part that I wish that wasn't there. Be a slave to whom? Who does it say? To All. That means be a slave, not just to people that you like, but even to the people you don't like. When Jesus talked about carrying a person's cloak another mile or giving when somebody asked, that's what he was talking about. It is selfless living. Jesus said important people live selflessly. Important people do things they don't want to do, but they do out of love for their Lord. Selfless people don't, or or important people, don't have to stand high on a pedestal. They have to kneel low with a towel. Now, why do we know this is right? Because the very last verse here, verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for the many. In Philippians chapter 2 the Bible says that God that Jesus did not seek equality with God as something to be grasped but instead took on the very form or very nature of a servant one of the last things Jesus did with his disciples around the the, the Lord the, the the table was what He stood up and he put on a loincloth and he got a rag and a wash bin and he knelt down and he grabbed these dirty men's feet and he began to wash them. And he said to them, what I'm doing for you is the way that I expect you to live your life. Whoever wants to be the greatest will be the least. Now listen, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It doesn't mean that you spend your life going, "Oh, I'm horrible, I'm a loser, I'm not good no, no. that's not what it means. because if you have been if you're born again, if you're in a relationship with God, the Bible says that you have been bought with the price, not with silver or gold, that you 've been redeemed from an empty way of life, but you 've been bought with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without spot or blemish. He gave his life so that you could be ransomed from sin and from hell and from death. So you have great value. You should never walk around, woe is me. But you should walk around, though, not also exalting your own honor, but exalting His. And at this time, you're probably wondering, what in the world am I doing making such a mess? Anybody wondering? A long time ago? A long time ago has it been too distracting? So, here's the thing we don't ever arrive with this. When we come to Christ we're just just a twig. And what God, God does is He begins to prune us. He pulls off the things that don't suit His purpose. And then He begins to even grab out His knife and He begins to shape us. And by shaping us He's actually taking away things that aren't necessarily bad, they're just not helpful. And as we choose to yield to, the, to the, the sharpness of our God who's whittling on us, what we discover towards the end of our life, if we've been faithful, is that He makes us for His own purpose. Now to you, this is meaningless. But to me... I'm going to go get a marshmallow, stick it on this joker and put it over a fire. (laughs) Why? Because that's what I want to do with my stick. Here's what I want you to know. You don't have to try to be anything for anybody. You simply need to say to God, God, I'm yours. If you want to make me famous... I'll be famous. If you want to make me rich, I'll be rich. But if you want to make me poor, I'll be poor. If you want to make me a star, I'll be a star. If you want me to live in obscurity, I'll live in obscurity. Because, God, my life is not my own. I live to serve at the pleasure of my King. What do you need to do this morning? What do you need to do? Maybe this morning you're wrestling with ego. Would you shift your wrestling from importance to faithfulness? Would you say, God, I don't want to be important. I want to be faithful. And if you want to use me as a stick, go ahead. You know what's really cool? Usually when we allow God to use us as a stick, it doesn't end up anywhere like we thought it would. I promise you, Sam never thought he'd live in Greene County, Alabama. Never even crossed his mind. But as you will find out in the story that we put together here in the next couple of weeks, he is living more joy and more life than he ever dreamed possible. And I guarantee you, one day he's going to stand before the Father, and the Father's going to say, Sam, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been a good stick. I'm not sure if that's in the Bible or not, but it's what it means, basically. This morning, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that. The Bible says it's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of your works. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But Jesus Christ died on a criminal's cross so that you could be forgiven for every offense that you've ever committed against God. Not only committed up until now, but even after now. The Bible says that your slate will be wiped clean. He'll throw your sin as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered anymore. But that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. So this morning, will you close your eyes and bow your head? If you're here today and you've not ever trusted Him, I want to invite you to do that. Maybe you're watching by TV or maybe you're watching by Facebook Live. Right now, you hear the voice of God speaking to you. We simply say yes to Him? This morning, if you're struggling with importance and if you just want somebody to notice you, can I invite you to lay down your arms, stop striving so hard, and just learn to be obedient to the next thing. Receive the goodness of God through His grace today. Father, as as we come to the end of this day, I ask that you would help us to recognize that life doesn't have to be so hard. We don't have to wrestle so much. Lord, when we let go of our own passions and desires and we turn them over to you, Lord, it doesn't take them away, but it, it sanctifies them. Father, you place your desires in our hearts and you... You open doors and you close doors and God, it is always good. You are a good, good Father who knows what what makes us tick. You know what satisfies our soul. And Lord, sometimes what we look at is so shiny and perfect when we finally get there, we realize that we have spent a lot of time chasing after something that just doesn't satisfy. So God, my deepest prayer for your people today is that you would help us to desire... You, above all else. And Father, sometimes that's going against what people say to us, and sometimes it's going against what we in our flesh want. But Father, that's what we want. We want to we yield to You in every single possible way. This morning, will you keep your eyes closed and your head bowed, and will you just spend a few moments in the quietness of the time and allow God to speak to you. Allow God to, to soothe the anxiety. Allow Him to give peace where there's restlessness. Say yes to God and that thing that He's been constantly nudging you, constantly bringing into the back of your mind. Just say yes, you can trust Him. Father, it's easy for us to think that we're significant until we look at how big the world is, how many people there are. But then we look at you and we realize that you not only made us for a purpose, but you you know us better than we know ourselves. So in this moment, Father, would you give the presence of your spirit in each of our hearts God, I believe you're doing something even now. You're so good. Let's sing together.